This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code FakeTheNation. Go to TryMiracle.com slash FakeTheNation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to TryMiracle.com slash FakeTheNation and use the code FakeTheNation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash FakeTheNation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Hey folks, Nagin here to let you know that we had some audio issues in today's show. So you're going to hear some glitches here and there, but it is altogether a fun show. Sorry about the glitches and we'll uh, and enjoy the show. Fake the Nation, episode 245. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we go from St. Patrick's Day to Persian New Year right into my birthday. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and if you need a dumb reason to celebrate today, it's my birthday. Eat an extra pastry in my honor and be merry, because every time you celebrate a holiday that technically has nothing to do with you, a coronavirus variant loses its wings. I uh, read that on the CDC website. It's true. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the totally heinous gun violence in America. We'll also talk about nfts what are they and why is everyone talking about them and finally after a year of pandy what would you do differently i am so excited by today's panel uh we are they're both they've both been on the show before i have known and loved them both for very many years um we have joining joining us uh from his porch in uh, california um a uh the the uh author of the new children's book the magic reality of Nadia, but oh my god, he is a comedian uh, of many, many, many works uh, from here to Egypt. Uh, he is the one and only Bassem Youssef. Hey, Bassem. 
Thank you, and it's always also my birthday because my birthday is 21st of March, which is also the Nairobi New Year. Oh, oh yeah, oh, with the, I'm with the equinox, Nairobi New Year, Mother's Day in Egypt. So um, oh my like, God, okay, we're, folks, we're, we're, we're giving buddies. you more reasons you could celebrate Basim's birthday, my birthday, so many things. Banari, if it's not your birthday, you're, you feel free to lie. Uh, <laughs> which brings me to the second person on our panel joining us on the show for the 7,000th time. Uh, he's a comedian. He's a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces. He's actually now featured in the brand new graphic novel that looks, I just got a peek. It looks so cool. It's called True War Stories. Um, you should immediately be ordering it uh, from your local bookstore. In fact, go inside your local bookstore. You know, with a mask on it, save. It's cool. Um, and he's so funny and he's funny all over the country. It's both Benari Lee Poulton. Hey, Benari. Hey, happy birthday to you, to Boston, to everyone, all the March babies. Just, uh, Just phenomenal to be in your presence. I have a theory that um, New York, of which neither of you are inside of, um, (laughs) that was a great sentence on my part, um, is filled with people who were born in March. Like a lot of uh, Aries, a lot of Aries in New York. That makes sense. Uh, That feels right. Right? It does. Fireside people that are like, hey, if I can make it in New York, like, no one can stop me. You know what I mean? And that is, uh, so anyways, me and everyone you know in fucking New York, it's our birthday. All right. Let's move into topic number one. Um, Okay. So we're going to talk about, there's been, I hate to say it, two mass shootings in the last week. Let's first talk about the one in Atlanta. Eight people were killed. Six were Asian American women. Um, There's a question about the shooter's motivation because in the aftermath, one of the sheriffs um, in in which uh, one of the murders took place initially attributed the uh, motivation of the shooter to a sex addiction. Um... Uh, Benari, let's just start with you. What what did you make of the shooting and how it's being characterized? And just in and uh, I mean the, the hubbub over the characterization versus the shooting itself. I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I think you have a confluence of events, and you all almost always have a confluence of events when you're talking about mass shootings. Sometimes it's hate crime. Sometimes it's systemic. Sometimes it's individual. Sometimes it, it can be. Uh, a lot of times there's misogyny always baked in because it's angry guys for some reason across the spectrum. Um, you know, but the one thing that, that I've always seen is that there's a rush to the reporting of it because we want to know all the facts right away and you can jump to conclusions and sometimes sometimes they're correct and sometimes they're not. But we there's always such a rush to peg this so we can make sense of the senseless. And the one thing that all these shootings have in common is that we in this country, in America, have easy access to weapons at all times, no matter what's going on in the middle of a fucking pandemic, in the in the middle of a, a surge in violence. We can always buy guns when we can always get access to guns. And the shooter bought a gun that day to carry out this mass shooting. So that to me, it's always going to come back to we can talk about the myriad of reasons that surround the why this happened. But we know the how he was able to get a gun and carry out. Uh, you know, a shooting at will, uh, and 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 that's that's always going to be the the major problem and the common denominator in all these shootings. Um, Bossom, you're you come to us from Egypt. Uh, 
you've been here for, I don't know, a few years now. Um, what When you hear news like this, uh, what do you think? Well, first of all, I mean, there's this whole thing about like people's fascination of owning a gun. We don't have this problem in Egypt. The whole thing of gun debate is not even existent. Right. Because back home, the, the government just does all the mass shooting for us. So we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, the whole thing about like people dark, like worrying. I, dark. And, I, and I understand like why people here will not accept the government doing the mass shooting for them, because that's, as you know, is socialism. So <laughs> it's just like, you know, we, we have to kind of like carry things in our own hands in America, as always, including killing other people. Uh, the, the whole thing about uh, the guy uh, has like some sort of sex addiction and he was like uh, kind of like upset because those uh, Asian women have sex. I think this is a kind of a bullshit excuse because, like, uh, why didn't you go into a strip club? Right. Why didn't you go into uh, a, a porn uh, store where or a sex shop? You know, uh, I, I really believe it was like racially motivated. It's not just like, oh, those women are just like, uh, you know, just pulling the, the uh, you know, the, the whole country and then doing sex because, hey, the whole porn industry is actually done by, uh, by, by people in America, white people, and it's not really, it's not just like Asian people. I think it is racially motivated uh, or maybe it is allowed that his own people can actually have sex, but Asian people, no, no. Uh, and and also it kind of brings me all to the whole kind of stupidity with with hate crimes. I've always been fascinated about how accurate when they come to uh, the uh, racist people when they come to kind of use racial slurs because they're very accurate. They kind of like they have the level of intelligence of like fifth grade uh, little kids who are very accurate and it hurts and at the same time very stupid. But when it comes to uh, race like racial attacks and racial uh, hate crimes, I mean. Uh, I think they're very stupid and very misinformed. So like for the same uh, same people who do like hate crimes against Asians because they they talk about like, oh, it's the, Ch the China produced the virus, right. the, the, the coronavirus, but then they don't discriminate between Filipinos or Vietnamese or Japanese, whatever, whoever looks like, they don't even discriminate, you know? Uh, the same way, well, after 9-11- right, they don't distinguish. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, like a lot of people don't know the first hate crime after 9-11, the first hate crime, it was a guy who was killed in his own deli is a, is a grocery store. And, you know, he was Egyptian. They got that right. But mm -hmm. he was also a Christian Egyptian. A lot of people don't know that. And then the second one who was a victim was a Hindu Sikh. He was a Sikh. Yeah, there was That's actually right. a, a rise in crimes that. against the Sikh community because they, yes. they didn't know. They just saw turbans. They don't and, know. And they, uh, they immediately just equate that with, well, you're different. You're a foreigner. We're going to go after you and you must be, you know, terrorist. Exactly. So that's why it is so 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 funny. I mean, I know it's it's dark, but it's so funny how racist people have absolutely no discrimination. So, for example, you know, when people go and kind of like deface, uh, vandalize a Jewish cemetery and they put swastika. All right. Makes sense. You know, Jewish people were killed by Nazis. They were the Holocaust. Yes. Swastika. Jewish people. Yes. This is how you kind of like piss them off. But then the same people go to a mosque and they draw a swastika, which for me is so funny because if those people in the mosque were ISIS, you know what the <laughs> ISIS hate the most? Jewish people. So they would say like the swastika is like, yes, right. that's to the Jews. We are, we're on board on that. Thank you so much for acknowledging. The, the only thing that's worse than a hate crime is being the victim of the wrong hate crime. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Which is, which is also. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I want to just like tell racist people, can't you just at least be accurate? Can you at least be, be your accurate. 
for it. Can you, can you just like make us at least respect you for the kind of research that you would do before going and killing other people? Because at least, you know, it's like you're racist, but you're a little bit smart. But now you're racist and fucking Just stupid. put the well, work I mean, in. Do your homework. Yes. Do, 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 do the work. Do, do any the most kind of American homework. thing. Do any kind of like, homework. Well, I just want to say there's, there's been, I mean, so uh, predictably, th- there has been a sort of like, from some Republican centers of like, let's just wait and see. Like, we don't need to label this a hate crime now. Um, you know, pre- and then, f- for example, um, uh, Byung Pak, a Republican, Korean American, and former U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing their name, said that prejudging the case before the completion of the investigation puts pressure on prosecutors to perhaps file charges which may not hold up in court or raise expectations that cannot be satisfied. And I think that's, you know, ultimately reasonable. I think there's an e- you know but there's an easy way of saying we just we don't know yet everything's on the table including uh, right. hate crime allegations right and the, the the weird thing that sort of happens is everyone's like don't jump to hate crime and it's like instead of saying don't jump to hate crime just say like we may end up at hate you know let that like that that could well, I, very well I, be the case I agree and, with you. and and we're gonna and we keep that on the table so just the rhetoric of around how this is you know being talked about is needless it like needlessly rejects the notion that this could be a hate crime before it's like yes let the investigation play it say that it's a possibility you know what i mean like if anything it, why what is that hurting if anything this should be the opportunity to talk about all the different things that could have gone into this. This is the time to talk about, this is the time to actually get into the nitty gritty and face the uncomfortable truths and and maybe have a discussion about this. Going on a podium and saying, we want to investigate the the notion that this could be a hate crime. We want to investigate that this could be a a crazy use of a gun. Like this person shouldn't have gotten a gun. We We should investigate how they got it, why they got it. What are the laws that were in place that they got it? Uh, we want to investigate um, this, uh, you know, uh, whatever sex, sexual repression. Because, because we, these things right? exist, because these problems exist. And even if just one of them wasn't the root cause or if it was some combination of all of them, the problems will still exist after the investigation's over. And if we don't address yeah. those, these problems will persist. But I just I just want to get in my soapbox for one second, because every time we talk about Please. mass shootings, I, I always see this as really coming back to, especially in the last 15 to 20 20 years goes back to the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which was passed in 2005. And and I love it when you bring this pa- up. Right? And yeah. after 2005, the 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 mass shootings that have involved AR-15s have jumped exponentially since. 2005. Prior to 2005, they weren't marketed, they weren't sold in, in like this. There were less than probably 100,000. And then all of a sudden, it was 100,000, 300,000, peaked over, you know, started hitting over a million once Obama was office. I wonder why. But one of the things, if we repeal PLACA, if we hold the gun manufacturers liable for the, mar- not just the manufacturer, but the marketing of it, and also hold them financially and legally liable if they're misused or if they're used in mass shootings, then they will start self-regulating the way they did prior to that. And we can do to the gun industry what this country did to the cigarette industry. And it doesn't step on anyone's Second Amendment rights, and it doesn't stop anyone from buying a gun who wants to buy a gun lawfully. But it does, it does hold accountable the purveyors of these of these death machines. And that's where the money is. And we have to start going after the people who make money after every single mass shooting. And that's the gun makers. Um, 
And, and that's an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. And, and Boston, I want to ask you, because one of the things that happened, um, I think, yesterday, so there was another shooting in um, Boulder, Colorado, in which 10 people were killed, including one police officer. Um, Senator John Thune of South Dakota, he's like the number two Senate Republican, said there's not a big about when asked about two bills that were passed by the House, gun, gun, common sense gun control bills that were passed by the House that might be introduced in the Senate. He said there's not a big appetite among our members to do things that would appear to be addressing that would appear to be addressing it, but actually don't do anything to fix the problem. This is a common refrain among the GOP when any bills come. It's like this is not the bill that's going to fix the problem. Why would we pass this bill? Uh, Bossum, what do you think about um, our Senate? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Just what do you think I, about I, I our have Senate? To say, guys, I, 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 I actually see a good silver lining in the Colorado shooting in specific. So here's the thing. Like, you know, for, for so many years, whenever there was a uh, um, a, a terrorist attack or an attack by a Muslim or an Arab, we kind of like go and cave, or go into our caves, like, oh my God, they can't come for us. It's just like, uh, we, we, now we got, they're going to talk all of this terrorist attack thing, you know, it's like the terrorists, Muslims, whatever. But, uh, but then we had like a spree of mass shooting. I said, oh, you know, white people, they're not going to come for us. When I heard like Colorado, like mass shooting, ah, it's going to be a white guy. But then, oh my God, he's Syrian and his name is Ahmed. Oh my God, let the rain begin. Now oh, we're going to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, terrorism, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But then, for the first time, he is being treated like every single white man. He <laughs> yeah. is crazy. It's so weird. He got an AR-15. Yeah. He is disturbed. And I'm kind of like, and now I have those two thoughts. Number one, we're finally blending in into this great nation and we're allowed to do the most American thing, which is buying a gun and kill other people. And second of all, I think it we can say it's very dark. comfortably. It's dark, it's dark, okay. I, say, I think true, that for the first, I think now we can comfortably say, hey, it's the day that America has finally radicalized Arabs. It's just like amazing. I mean, for the first time, America was afraid that we're really radicalizing America. But now, I mean, like the guy was in WWE, MMA fighter. Like he has like, right. you know, he all went kinds to, of like school mental in America. issues. Yeah, all of that. He went to school to America, bought a gun. He looks white. His name is Ahmed, but it doesn't matter. Now we can just like finally say we're blending in into this great nation, this great society. And we're allowed to do what every single American has the right to do and get away with it and just by being called crazy so i think it's a i think it is a moment that we can reflect on and say like i think it's it's, it's good things happening it's to a us real oj that. moment we can finally go <laughs> we can go and kill other people without being called a terrorist it's just like another oh it's so dark. it's i but i it's so dark but i had the same feeling where i was like sort of looking for like Muslim terrorists, da da da. Like I was looking for those headlines and I was like, this nothing. is weirdly, what weird no, res- level of responsibility it, it, has the media taken on where they're not yeah, reporting? And, 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 and you know what, Liz, like about like three or four Muslim organizations have that, that denounced the attack as a guy, yeah. you don't need to. We have the NRA and the GOP on our side. Yeah. We it is don't, like, it is like the first time in the history of a Muslim person using a gun that I haven't been called to go to a cable news show and defend Muslims. Even even Fox, <laughs> no, no, yeah. I mean? even Fox News, yeah. this is how bad the discourse has been and how much they, they value guns over human life is that Fox News is like, see, Muslims shoot people with guns, 
like to own the libs like now to own the libs they're backing like yeah the muslims that you guys love love. they do do gun violence too we win gop (laughs) (laughs) what yeah um i uh uh we need to wrap this segment up but i just want to say in closing i hope nobody think we are we're laughing because we're also crying, um, and we don't know how to, else to talk and about. We talk things, about so this no so much. A, we talk about this. We in talk this about this so much. And like much. Benari, what's fucking crazy is that there's been so many, you know, mass shootings that you and I have talked about mass shootings before on this show. I think more than one other time. Uh, that's how often we have to fucking talk about it. And at this point, I mean, we're just, and I just want to say to listeners um, that Biden has said, you know, that there's a there's a, there's a a bevy of actions they want to take. Obviously, they want Congress to act. Emperor Joe Manchin doesn't know about the current bills. They might go to pay. Um, but, uh, but but Biden's also looking at executive action. So we'll we'll keep an eye out. And, but start um, calling your reps, call your senators. You know, yeah, if we can get a time. groundswell to repeal placa that's a very tangible real thing that actually doesn't require very much effort for for congress to do it doesn't and it feels like it 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 also feels like it could be bipartisan like there were you know um so i i believe the only way to make the honor a kind and and the armed industry kind of to kind of start reacting if we have as many Muslims as possible buying AR-15 <laughs> do like a whole do like a whole march on it's Washington a lot of right. and you're, you're like, you're like Muslim and, and, like and say like every weekend we, we and like you know go, go put like their tactical gears and everything and just like march maybe kind of like grow a little bit of a beard or you know and kind we of need like, to, and, and, well we really we need Muslims and we need vegans right if they really want to own the libs right. like let's do some straight up reverse psychology we'll get vegan in there, we'll get craft brewers in oh, there, yeah. beer brewers in there. Oh, yeah, By the way, I'm kombucha trades people. I am Arab and vegan, which makes me scary and annoying. So oh, I am my actually God. the perfect. You're the worst. I've always said, Bossom, you're the worst. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, if you're making right, artisanal pickles, a- you'll hit the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you 
with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the apps features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about other things. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. NFTs are all the rage. Uh, it stands for non-fungible tokens. And I know that even spelling that out doesn't clear anything up. But guess what? This thing you fully don't understand just had a sale for $69 million. Um, what? I just, I, okay, you know what? I'm going to actually read a definition that was in a New York Times article about what this is, because and Benari and I have talked about this. We've read about this and I still am sweating <laughs> as we start this topic. I'm sweating because I don't 100 percent understand. But here's what it is, according to a journalist. An NFT is an asset verified using blockchain technology in which a network of computers records transactions and gives buyers proof of authenticity and ownership. So it's basically like you could own a digital thing, but you would have get this NFT uh, that would show that you're the one that like owns the original, even if in most cases, the original digital thing is just online and anyone can see it. So, um, uh, Bosom, <laughs> we'll start with you. Does this NF, the concept of NFTs, uh, do they make you want to scream or are you into it? It's just one or the other. <laughs> I, ha I have two words for you. Money laundry. There's no way somebody could just like like dump sixty nine million dollars on a downloadable digital image. It's like, hey, I'm gonna pay seventy million dollars for a gif. It's like, what the fuck are you saying? This is like totally. I mean, this is like uh, this is like people having so much money on their uh, on their hands, and they're either like a drug lord, a warlord, or a very or, or Satan. I mean, there's no there's no other fourth option. So that is like. Yeah, warlord, drug lord, or Satan. <laughs> 60, $69 million for what? For a downloadable image? Just to say, hey, have that true authenticity? Fuck you. $69 million? What the hell, man? Give me a million of them, and I'm, I might forgive you. But this is crazy. I mean, I don't know the whole thing about like the art industry and what's considered art and paying like a shitload of money on a fucking banana. It's just like, this is crazy. And, um... and, seriously, and I, when I was writing this, 
fungible i i as a second language i was like fungible it's like what does it mean fungible it, it's not edible does not does not contain does not gonna rot what do you I mean i know it's fungible? a really weird i i've never like just casually used that term i couldn't agree more uh i'm pretty sure that nft stands for not fucking true uh that there's no way there's no way that this isn't just like dark web criminals moving large amounts of money back and forth it's bitcoin all over again this is just a way to absolutely money launder i i don't know where like you know it's like oh if i want to do an arms sale and i want to like give you 69 million dollars but uh what do yeah, make me a gif and i'll buy your gif like that's bullshit and also how do i get in on this because i would like (laughs) i will absolutely for anyone who has a few million dollars lying around i will create your your non-fungible whatever benari is that your the your uh the the graphic novel you're featured in is not non-fungible that was my problem it's It's so fungible fungible. you made a huge mistake this is the story of my life too fungible i'm always i know i've always said this about you um and also just so people know what we're talking about, the $69 million sale, which I think was actually 69 million point three or something, uh, was an artist. Point made, three? The, Are you fucking kidding I me? Sorry, now, I now you, I mean, 69 is fine, but point three, <laughs> uh, like an extra $300,000 for this piece of shit? Oh, but now I'm pissed. I know, I know. It's like I two, really the numbers time. are like too specific for this not to be a cover yeah. for something right, else. Right, right, no, completely. They're adding too many details. Here's some more details. The artist's name is Mike Winkleman known as Beeple, so I think that's the, the his artist name. It's the third highest price achieved by a living artist. And it's it's for the sale of a purely digital work. Um, and I should point out that this is the part that somehow really made me upset. He only heard about NFTs five months ago. He's definitely a he front about- for like the Russian mob. There's no other way. There's no other way. <laughs> And then here's another here's another sale that I found insanity insanity. Jack Dorsey, the co-founder and chief executive of Twitter, you know who the fuck I'm talking about. Jack Dorsey. Yeah. He is currently selling his first tweet as an NFT um, oh, in a time this. charity auction. So it just kind of continues. And it is so far at the time of this article reached two point five million dollars. It's probably more now. Anyways, boss, I'm, I'm going to be. Say, I'm going to be selling. I'm going to be selling my morning ejaculation as an NFT. What the fuck? <laughs> it's fungible though. Oh, it's too fungible. What the fuck? What the fuck? Your no, ejaculation no, no, but, 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 is fungible. However, if you tweet I, about it, then you can sell that tweet. That's that, pr- that, that that's is what celebrating it is. your morning ejaculation. By the way, Bonari is now an NFT consultant. Yes. Uh, he just became one right yep. now on fake on on FTN. Yeah. Uh, which is potentially an NFT. On FTN's Um, NFT, where I'll just take a nice like 10% (laughs) right off the top of all your non-fungibles. I have have a question. I have a serious question about this. Was this an auction or, I mean, were, I mean, because yeah. they, they were, they were like I mean, did they start like with like half a million, then one to 10 million, then 15 million? Did, they were there like at kind of people kind of like bidding on this or it, did we just like the number? 
it's people were bidding. I it, people were bidding. It was a real auction. It was done by Christie's, and Fuck I mean, Christie, to me, way. I would have started at like a nice fifty cents, and then I would have like closed the bidding at ten bucks. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't well, well, even ten bucks is too expensive for a digital print that you can just fucking download it for free. I also, mean, from from what I could read, that these URLs are not actually hosted by the people selling them, so they could go dead in like ten years. Like the people who are oh. buying these NFTs might not even have access. In like, They're not even. They don't even have like the Squarespace site. Yeah, actually, yeah, they it's just. Like, <laughs> it's like it's like hosted by GoDaddy or whatever. It doesn't matter. Which, okay. By the way, I I want I don't want to shit on visual artists who are really. Please like do, doing do. something meaningful. Please do. I, <laughs> but you know what? Name no, me. No, th- I, I do yeah. want to. No, I do want to say. I I think I don't know people. I don't know his work, but uh, it, and it might be fantastic. Like his visual artistry might be fantastic, and it might be worth a lot of money. The we're talking about the mode of, say, uh, of the thing that a person owns. The thing that a person owns is just a unique address to a digital thing. Um, If people were to print that digital thing for raiment and then sell it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. You know what I mean? Uh, But I mean, Jack Dorsey's first tweet. We can all see Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Like what? What is the pleasure? I guess I'm not rich enough to own some. I don't I don't know the pleasure of that kind of ownership. Uh, You know, Benari, do you know the pleasure of that kind of ownership? I just don't understand it. No, because the because the real pleasure, I think, of this type of ownership is the just the the act of commerce this is a celebration of like unfettered capitalism and just money making money these aren't like sure you know what i'm all in favor i want i'm super happy that visual artists can make lots of money and bilk rich people out of their their you know unearned cash that's great i don't mind any of that but what what this to me feels like is just yeah it goes on christie's and if like you just put this up for like 10 bucks no one's buying it but you set you set it at like it starts at 50 million dollars now everyone's interested and they're only interested because it costs money and so it apparently has worth and value because it's valued high and that's what you know so rich people spending money on things that are that are just expensive to be expensive is infuriating i mean you know there are real practical things that we could have there you know you're, you're now yeah. buying abstract you're buying the abstract concept of art basically right, I, oh i'm, I'm right, spending right. 69.3 million dollars to buy this abstract concept of a thing and fuck you dude. and I'm sorry. and uh, yeah. some sort of missile some sort of like you know uh what missile i was gonna name a missile and then i was like i have no idea what missiles are named so that stopped right there and i'm i'm desperate to know what people of fake the nation think of uh nfts are you investing in them or whatever people do um, and if you buy them up. just tell us like what you want us to do to sell you one and we will happily right. make one <laughs> and I whatever will... it is i'll make it for you exactly i mean i'm on patreon which is arguably also an nft <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, an NFT that's going to help this gal pay for health insurance. I'm an OnlyFans. I'm having a hard time selling my nudes. 
Too They're fungible. Too fungible. <laughs> too fungible. That's, that's the title of this episode is too fungible. Um, before we leave, I did want to talk about just uh, make a, a, a strong left turn and talk about really quickly this new trailer that came out for a show called The United States of Al. It's a new Chuck Lorre show. It's kind of one of the classic Chuck Lorre multicam comedies that is going to come out on CBS. Um and it's about a uh, veteran um, who was in the Afghan war, uh, who met a translator there. And then the, some time later, the translator comes to America to live with him. Um, the translator is played by a South Asian actor, um, which I, for, for the record, is not I'm not saying they're not Afghani. Um, I'm just saying they're definitely not Afghani. Uh, Benari, uh, you're a veteran of the armed forces like again we don't know this show all we know is a trailer it created a hubbub controversy on twitter but of course twitter fucking sucks so maybe that controversy doesn't matter what do you think um yeah i mean i think the fact that he's not afghan um it sort of set off a firestorm uh and the appearance of Look, there's a there's a very long and terrible history of network sitcoms um, taking very complicated, sensitive issues and uh, mainstreaming them into not terrific ways. And look, the guy Chuck Lorre is responsible for Two Broke Girls, uh, Big Bang Theory, Young Sheldon uh, and, and Two and a Half Men. So it's like, oh, if you want to tell your like very nuanced story of uh, the the toll of a 20 plus year war and Afghan interpreters, uh, you know, uh, trying to acclimate to American society. I don't know if like you're going to Chuck Lorre for nuance, but he, he, but but what Chuck (laughs) Lorre does do is he makes successful mainstream sitcoms that help a mainstream audience process things that otherwise they might not be aware of. So I think two things are at play here. I think on the surface, it sort of hit people the wrong way, but there are Afghan writers on staff. There are consultants. Yeah, there's there's like a lot of people a behind the camera. Or something. Yeah. Reza Aslan um, is one of the producers. And, and was, I think yeah, a lot Iranian. of and there's also a lot of veterans uh, who are on staff. And like as someone, you know, who, who was in Afghanistan um, and, and worked with with Afghan interpreters, um, getting Afghan interpreters to America is a, was, is, a, is a real not only a real problem, um, but. There were a lot of success stories and a lot of Afghan interpreters did rely on U.S. service members who returned to help them come over. And and so a lot, some of this is based on on truth and rooted in that. So I think it's I think we shouldn't rush to judgment on that just because it's a Chuck Lorre production and it looks terrible. Like, wait to see it be <laughs> terrible. And then you can judge it for being like, you know, right, right, for right. fumbling. But who knows? You know, this I, I'm all for, for more representation and for more people in front of and behind the camera. And we have a long way to go. And I think part of the, you know, and the other problem with the casting of the interpreter is they went with a guy who has a record. You know, he's got he, he's he's the guy, you know, if you need someone who's playing Middle Eastern I guess he's like the sitcom guy. The guy, so, right? Bossum, what do you? This is that's the question I have for you. Is like, what did you think of that casting? And just to note, you don't see it in the trailer, but apparently there are other Afghans cast in the show, not just not the lead. Uh, the I, one, I, to the be lead. honest, it does, to be honest, it doesn't bother me at all. This whole okay. thing about like being like just like it has to be. 
oh, Afghani, then it has to be from the right providence in Afghanistan. Guys, it's just like at the end of the day, it is art, it is acting. And at the end of the day, you're doing acting and you're selling the, the character to people. People are not just like there with their resume. It's like, oh, he's Pakistani, so he cannot play uh, Afghani. I mean, uh, th- I mean, I don't see the same problem when a, a Canadian or an Australian play an American ca- character. Why are we as minorities are so hung up and so, um, you know, insecure when it comes to casting? You know, I mean, he's not casting a white guy playing an Afghani. Yeah, but he's he's casting someone who looks that way, the same way that you would, you know, cast guess, Jim Carrey. I mean, and he, me, he's, the, Jim Carrey is yeah. Canadian, and, and the, the problem is we had a long history of non-representation, so we are a little bit sensitive. But it has to start somewhere. Today, it is a, a, a non-Afghani playing an Afghani. Tomorrow, we will have enough people and enough Afghani and enough, you know people that we can cast because it, we're just like fixing the the, 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 the the mistakes that we that that Hollywood has been doing in the past. So I don't I mean sometimes it's it's like like when you have the crown and you have an Israeli playing the role of Abdul Nasser, that's a slap on the face because like of all of the political things. But like I don't think it's like oh it, because now let's say for example you have a Syrian guy now and you have an Egyptian play this guy. Will you have like a backlash? I mean, we as Arabs, we just want to have any kind of a presentation. We're not represented at all. So we have to start somewhere. The whole thing about like, oh, it has to be the same and exact thing. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, just start. And, and again, and judge the show for good. I mean, if there's other people who's talking about other issues, like the white savior complex issue. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, other things about one. that. But it's just... And, 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 you know, as Benari said, uh, it's Chuck Lorre, and Chuck Lorre is good about making things mainstream. So maybe this is a, a good step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, wow, you guys have such such a more like kind of calm and reasoned approach to this show than most of the people on Twitter. And I think that's great. I mean, my so my personal feeling about casting and Boston, you've probably been through this, too, is that <laughs> this is, I'm going to say something weird. I don't think I've ever like whatever said this out loud and maybe i hope it's okay but i think that um, american producers of content think that iranians and afghans should be darker than what they actually are so they are frequently cast by by as indians so indians will play i have seen multiple shows where a, a person who like a character that is Iranian and my parents came from the revolution da, 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 and they're like saying all these stuff, but they're just straight up Indians. And I'm like, that's just so weird to me because they don't look Iranian at all to me. Right. And maybe to the average American, they look totally like they don't know the difference or whatever. And like that's I get that. But I think the weird thing is that <laughs> producers of uh, in America have like a concept of what um, someone from that part of the world looks like. And the concept is frequently wrong. Uh, Afghans, for example, have a lot of like, I don't know if you saw this uh, when you were there, Benari, they've got a lot of green eyes up in that country. But you would, but, but, right? But guys, and you just a, tech, it's a, it's you wouldn't beginning. see... It's, it's I, know, I know, I know it's a I, beginning, I, I, but it's like, it's weird. Totally it's weird anti-PC. that we do that. Can I can I say something that is totally anti PC, like totally non PC? <laughs> okay. Totally. All right. <laughs> okay. I, uh, there is a pro- Broadway production that I've seen three years ago. Okay, and it's called the Dollhouse Two. It was it was like kind of like a play on the famous Dollhouse. Okay. Yeah, by, yeah, yeah. By, by 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 I think it was Danish. Um, and now this is like a play that is done I think in Denmark, right? The Dollhouse, and Denmark is all white characters. The main characters, the daughter of the of the of the, uh, the hero, was played by an African African American. 
And she's an incredible, and she was nominated for Tony Award. She was an incredible actress. And I didn't see any backlash of white people. It's like, oh my God, how come like a, a, a black woman is playing a character that is actually being made for white Danish people? The same way with Hamilton. Hamilton, is the whole cast is played by people of color. You know, they're playing George Washington, uh, Hamilton, all of those people played by people of color, and there's no backlash. I mean, people, at the end of the day, we need to actually appreciate art as it is. We are just hung up on so many minute things, and we're just getting angry all the time about things that we shouldn't be angry about. It is art, it is entertainment, and at the, at the end of the day, does it deliver the right message? That, does, it, does it improve the ideas about people from people of color? I don't care if it's an Indian play. I mean, the only reason why I would be kind of like being pissed if an Indian related as Egyptian is that I'm jealous, is I'm there, I'm in Hollywood, guys, why don't you cast me? <laughs> so like, I'm gonna be right. angry for totally personal reasons. Well, look, I- But I don't care if that Indian played an, an incredible role of an Egyptian and he actually delivers a good message. Well, and, and I think that this, this also speaks to, you know, what in the mainstream is the representation and it, and it speaks worse to our lack of representation across the board. Look, as a veteran, I'm kind of tired of seeing one, it's always like a white guy. Uh, you know, when I was when I was deployed to Afghanistan, one third of my unit was white, one third was Hispanic, one third was black, and then and then there was me, the Jew. So that you know, <laughs> cross, but but then the makeup also like we don't have a lot of stories about women veterans. Um, you know, the a, a good proportion of the of the of the troops that I serve with are women. We don't hear their stories. We the stories that we continue to tell about the military are the broken white guy. Divorce soldier who takes the, off his shirt the, yeah. and he's got a lot of abs. Yeah, yeah. the hurt locker, you know, fucking you right, know, whatever. Right. And and it's like that's a story, but that's not the only story. And we need to get back. And and also, there's not an appetite in the mainstream for telling these types of stories. You know, I, look, I tried for for a long time. I was trying to work on doing some sort of like mash like military comedy, and I've been told by a number of network executives, and this is how network executives think, is that people don't want to like laugh at war. They don't. That's not how they interpret it. They want like a. They, they want either it's like door kicking action or it's like real tragic you know, PTSD sort of uh, film. That's what people are sort of now conditioned to see in their entertainment of it. And that's also a problem because that perpetuates stereotypes, that perpetuates myths. And it and we don't what we don't see is how closely they work. You know, one thing that I think is positive that comes out of this is your bond with with your interpreter, especially in a unit, but especially on a personal level. When I was in Iraq, I had 12 Iraqi interpreters who worked directly for me. Um, two of them, we helped get their visas so that they could come over with their with their young daughter, which was also a battle. But, you know, another interpreter who worked with me was Egyptian. She was she was uh, American Egyptian and the Iraqis couldn't stand her accent. I had no idea that she had wow. an accent, but when she spoke, they were like, I, they could tell that she was Egyptian. So there's like nuance. We do, there's there's so much room wow. to explore yeah. The, yeah. the the nuance and and some of these other stories, but we haven't even gotten there yet because we have to, you know, we haven't mainstreamed what is what is actually happening and who these right because we, are we need Chuck Lorre to do something first, right. and then like me, you and Bossom might get yeah, a shot. So Chuck Lorre, and then. 
then the three of us are going to go uh, spitball or very like nuanced, non, uh, you know, non-conventional. Uh, well, yeah, thanks. And, 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 the, and the gene could be like yeah. a, a kind of like an Iraqi veteran that was like half Iranian, half Iraqi, who was also a prostitute in a strip club in Vegas. So you see how nuanced things can get. Sold in the you room. Know, we, uh, Sold in the so, room. So, yes, you know. <laughs> Uh, the show is set in Vegas, by the way, folks. That's uh, what he's referencing. So, t- um, so to close the show, we're gonna do topic number three, which is re- not really a full topic, just a brief question for you both. Which is that we're here a year into the pandemic. Um, the-, the pandemic started at basically right before my last birthday, and here I am doing a second birth- pandemic birthday. Oh, highly recommend. It's so fun, you guys. Um, and I, I wonder if. Uh, if there's anything you would do differently, knowing what you do now, what would you have done differently about this year, Bossum? Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> 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 and then and then use the profit to buy a non-fungible. Benari, <laughs> 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 uh, what would you do differently? Uh, I would have... Uh known what an NFT was so that I could create one and have Bossom buy one from me <laughs> with all that Bitcoin money. <laughs> uh, also, is there nothing you guys would really I, change? If, if, if I were to do it differently, I would probably have... I wish I'd been a little more um, creatively active. I felt like I really worked on my cooking skills and uh, my organizational skills of rearranging um, my room. Uh, I was great at that. Uh, really good at, uh, at at digging in, at, at just moving furniture around and uh, figuring out re- new recipes to try. Um, but I, I, if I had to do it over again, I would I would really have, have hunkered down and um, put a little more focus into some of the, the creative stuff so that I'd, I'd be ready to go when things opened up, you know. Oh, that's like so such a product. I mean, it's like almost a sad one, Benari. Well, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a sad, um, broken boy soldier. What, what can I tell you? <laughs> Bossum, is there something you would have really changed? I, I actually started playing piano and learning online, but then I kind of like dropped off. So I would have kind of like like everything I do and I kind of like pro- procrastinate. So I would have like go that back and stop procrastinating, play piano, buy Bitcoins and Amazon stock. But other than... <laughs> Dude, Amazon stock was already so expensive. By the way, fuck Amazon. Fuck That's our, our, our what, motto what would you, here. What would you I, What I would have done is, so the first few months, I felt really guilty that I was just eating garbage. I just ate garbage every day. Mm-hmm. And... I would have just as I would have just not felt guilty. Guys, this is um this has been such a delightful episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, uh, Benari. I would love for people to follow you and all the stuff that you do. Where do they do that? Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Benari Lee, B E N A R I L E E, and uh, pick up a copy of True War Stories at Z Two Comics. And Bossum, where do they find you? 
Find me on Instagram and all of my butt nude photos where I post semi-nude and nude photos of me on Instagram <laughs> while in the same time writing a very, very, very inspirational long quote to justify why did I just post a picture of my ass on Instagram talking about self-love and, uh, and letting go of fear while posing, giving you the, the ass. So this is exactly what I'm doing right now at Besson. That is my Instagram. <laughs> And uh, you know where to find me on all the social medias and all the stuff that we're not supposed to be doing. Uh, I was on this last weekend's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, so check that out. Again, I want to mention I'm going to be on um, Bird Girl, which is a new adult swim show. It's coming out on April 4th on the Cartoon Network. Uh, I'm so excited. It's such a fun show. There's some really ridiculous uh, comic actors in it, people like Tony Hale and Padgett Brewster, so you should definitely be checking it out. Uh, And also me, I'm on it. Um, And again, uh, Patreon folks, the new uh, bonus segments of Fake the Nation are going to be coming out in April. April is when we start, uh, when we kick off the Patreon. So if you want to join us at Patreon, that's Nagin, I'm sorry, that's patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And we have um, every, so many levels at which you can support uh, if you can. We would love to have you. And I'm so heartwarmed by the people of Fake the Nation who have already joined our ranks. Um, And I want to really thank the people that make this show happen. That's our wonderful producer, Julia Linden, our fantastic audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, um, and everyone at HeadGum. Thank you so much, and we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum podcast.